This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, a people's history. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu. The Max animated series Harley Quinn is set in its own separate version of the DC Universe where the violence is frequent and very graphic and the raunchy jokes come at you fast. Harley used to be the Joker's sidekick slash girlfriend, but in this series she's ditched that literally toxic clown and started making her own brand of mayhem alongside her best friend and romantic partner Poison Ivy. The series recently returned for its fourth season, so we decided to revisit our conversation about the third season. I'm Glenn Weldon, and on this encore episode of NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour, we're talking about Harley Quinn. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Homes.com. You don't just live in your home, you live in your neighborhood as well. So when you're shopping for a home, you want to know as much about the area around it as possible. Luckily, Homes.com has got you covered. Each listing features a comprehensive neighborhood guide from local experts. Everything you'd ever want to know about a neighborhood, including the number of homes for sale, local amenities, and even things like median lot size and a noise score. Homes.com. We've done your homework. This message comes from NPR sponsor BritBox, streaming acclaimed original series you won't find anywhere else. With powerful performances from Jodie Whittaker, Tamara Lawrence, Bella Ramsey, Matthew McFadden, and more. Streaming at BritBox.com NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Noom. Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, helps you build new habits for a healthier lifestyle. Check out The Noom Kitchen for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Pro-Palestinian protests have popped up on college campuses across the country. But from the eyes of students, what are we missing? From the outside, these protests are painted as really violent when that couldn't be further from the truth. I'm Brittany Luce, host of NPR's It's Been a Minute, and I'm inviting you to hear from student journalists who see what the rest of us cannot. On It's Been a Minute from NPR. Joining me today is J.C. Howard, a producer at NPR's How I Built This. Welcome back, J.C. Hello. Good to be here. Good to have you. Also with us is NPR contributor Serena Toros. Hey, Serena. Hey, Glenn. The character of Harley Quinn was created by the makers of Batman the Animated Series back in the 90s. Uh, she was a psychiatrist who fell in love with her patient, the Joker, and joined up with him in a tight Harlequin bodysuit and a thick New York accent. <laughs> On that show, and later when she made the jump to comics, she basically served as the Joker's emotional punching bag. In recent years, she's become a widely popular character on her own in the comics and in films like Suicide Squad and Birds of Prey, played by Margot Robbie. In this series, Harley Quinn is voiced by Kaylee Cuoco as an impulsive and passionate person who's fiercely loyal to her pals, who include Poison Ivy, voiced by Lake Bell, King Shark, voiced by Ron Funches, and Clayface, voiced by Alan <laughs> Tudyk. I just gave away who my favorite character is. The show is filled with D-list and C-list characters from the DC universe, though some higher profile heroes and villains have been known to stop by for a few episodes. Harley and Ivy hooked up last season, and it's turned out to be more than just a fling. Season Season three finds them in a deeply committed relationship, complete with issues of communication and codependency. They've got issues to work through, including Ivy's plan to transform Gotham City into a place where plant life is the only life left. Harley Quinn is now streaming on HBO Max, and we're caught up with uh, third season, so we've seen the first six episodes. We'll be talking about everything up through that. JC, let me start with you. What do you think? 
when I started watching Harley Quinn, I immediately loved it. And part of it is kind of as you were hinting at, Glenn, with the clay face, right? The voice acting generally across the board is phenomenal. It's superb. Um, And of course, the idea of Harley Quinn stepping out of the shadow of the Joker and kind of becoming her own leader and her relationship with Poison Ivy, all of it is amazing. It's great. Mm -hmm. But I think for me, I couldn't help but see it as Batman, the animated series, all grown up. Which is a very good thing in my mind. Mm -hmm. And for folks who aren't familiar, as Glenn mentioned, Batman the Animated Series is where Harley Quinn was basically introduced. Uh, And it was a show that ran from about 92 to 95. And for a lot of late 80s and 90s kids, it was kind of the proper Batman. Like, certainly Mm -hmm. for me, it was like, I feel like I was a little too young, like during that time for the Tim Burton films. And I think that this show, Harley Quinn, really taps into that nostalgia it kind of replicates the darkness of that show and to some degree the animation mm-hmm. style. Like you can kind of see similarities between like their Two-Face, the way it's animated, their Mr. Freeze, Joker. Mm-hmm. But it's also way more adult and it has a mm-hmm. lot more depth. So like double entendres and sex jokes are plenty in the show, but also the human drama is real. Right. There's breakups and talk of power dynamics and sexual tension. So it's a lot more complex. And I would argue that at its core, this is a show without any heroes or villains in the traditional sense. But rather, this is a show with antiheroes and their foils. So Mm -hmm. like Harley is the main antihero. And you get to see how she's not at all like Batman. They see the world differently. They approach the world differently. But she's also completely and wholly different from the Joker, who she used to be attached to. So I think that it takes what really worked about Batman the Animated Series and what worked about Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn in Suicide Squad. And it says, what if we use all of this? What if we use this and just other things from the DC universe to make a story? And I think it does it really well. I'm kind of at the point in my media watching experience where I'm just over superhero anything, Mm -hmm. which is really sad to me because, you know, like JC, I kind of grew up on these DC superhero shows. Like for me, Teen Titans was instrumental. Uh I was a big fan of Young Justice, which is also on Uh HBO Max these days uh, for the first two seasons. And, you know, in high school, I was really into the comics before the new 52 came around and kind of yep. <laughs> preset everything. Uh-huh. But for me, I've always been a DC fan over a Marvel fan because of the way that they flesh out the women in their series and kind of the way women are allowed to be heroes and villains yeah. and sometimes neither. And uh-huh. also the way that they let their characters be queer. I mean, Harley is like one of those <laughs> instrumental queer couples in comics. And You know, I was willing to give this series a try because I'd heard great things and also because the soft spot I have for the Gotham City Sirens, which is Catwoman, Harley Quinn, Poison Ivy. Oh, yeah. And what's great about this show is that this is not a mass market superhero show. And it's all the better for it. It's not interested in holding your hand and introducing these characters to you if you don't know them. It assumes that you know the lore and you're interested in seeing it furthered. And I think the character work is so great. I think anybody who knows their DC comics kind of finds Batman and Joker to be the least interesting people running around Gotham. (laughs) And so to that end, I'm so thrilled to see all of these D-listers. Like, I think secretly Bane is is my favorite (laughs) character (laughs) in this show, which is like, what a wild card there. In in this season, there's this great running joke (laughs) 
about a pasta maker <laughs> <laughs> that he wants back. What the hell are you doing here, Bane? I think I'm just so over superhero shows taking themselves super seriously. And I don't want realism from superheroes. I want the silly fight sequences. I want powers. I want shenanigans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think this show is just such a blast because the serious stuff is just like the gritty mundane details of adult life. Yeah. So this is like a 10 out of 10 smash for me. That's great to hear. And you said the magic word, which is further, which is something that a lot of um, even comic superhero stuff doesn't really seem interested in doing. I did check this show out first thing early on where I think in maybe in the early going, it was still trying to define itself by overcompensating by saying what it isn't. Clearly they wanted you to know it's not for kids. This isn't corny. The first minutes of the first episode of season one is this bloodbath on a yacht that also plays off Joker's abuse of Harley for laughs, which, you know, as we've mentioned, it's baked into the character, but yuck. Yeah. So on the surface, I just thought, okay, this isn't my tempo because I was lumping it in with the cynical, nihilistic, glib and smarmy school of Deadpool and Peacemaker and Suicide Squad. But those properties are lazier. They rely on attitude, which is super, (laughs) pretty ridiculous, right? Which is... Not a joke. It's barely an observation. Yeah. Here, though, there are solid jokes, hard, good, well-crafted jokes. And the joke density is often 30 rock level. Like, in terms of JPM, jokes per minute, it's, it's very difficult to achieve, very difficult to maintain. And before I knew it, I was falling in love with these characters who were depicted in a kind of proprietary, almost artisanal way, unique to this series. They're not generic. You couldn't pick any of these characters up and place them anywhere else. They, they've they been crafted to fit this specific version of the DCU, which doesn't feel like any other version of the DCU. Yeah. One of the things that I just respect about the show is that it's not black and white, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't insult our intelligence in that way. It, it assumes that the audience is critical. It assumes that the audience is smart. It holds on to the humanity of all these characters while also fully embracing the absurdity, right, of the entire premise behind superheroes. It's, you know, it doesn't immediately assume that the folks with the capes and the folks with the badges are the good guys. Mm-hmm. And it taps into kind of a real cynicism of our time, right? So because it doesn't fake any reverence for superheroes. Like, for instance, when I watch a Marvel movie or something in the CW Arrowverse, You know, you have villains talking about how angry they are and how fueled by rage they are, and still somehow they manage to make it TVPG. And it's like, I'm supposed to believe that you're going to blow up a school bus full of children and you won't even drop an Mm F-bomb? Like, no, I can't stretch my imagination that far. So Harley Quinn, I think, liberates its characters to be who they really would be, and I I just really appreciate that. Reverence is such a great word because there is a lot of reverence also for the criminal justice system baked into (laughs) comic books. And this show is like supremely anti-copaganda. Also, to the extent that there are no heroes, I think there are no smart people either. Like everybody's just kind of an idiot. And that makes it really great. I think especially (laughs) the way they treat Commissioner Gordon as just this like washed up, self-absorbed man. 
I ate that up, man. <laughs> Chris Maloney, who voices Commissioner Gordon, found something. It's a radically different take on the character we've ever seen, but it also hits at the core of who he is in the comics. There is a sadness, a schlubbiness to him that is just kind of mm-hmm. turned up to 11. And, you know, Alan Tudyk just pelt this guy with Emmys and awards because he's perfect. I think yeah. the choice of Harvey Guillen as Nightwing... I really Mm. like that performance. I would stipulate that it's more a Tim Drake personification than a Dick Grayson (laughs) personification, but that's a question for another day. But let's talk about Lake Bell as Poison Ivy. Yeah. Oh, man. In this last season especially, she has really leaned into a naturalism with her dialogue. But here's a clip where she's talking to Harley and to Nora Freeze, who is uh, Mr. Freeze's widow, about a plan to go to New Orleans. Hard to explain. Is he hot? Um, he he's like vines. He he. The swamp thing is so powerful. He could. Oh, by the way, he could find Frank through the green like easy. A uh, <laughs> couple things. That's Rachel Dratch as Nora Freeze. This is such a great voice cast. So but that moment where she's like, oh, oh, oh by the way, uh, like it's a level of offhandedness and casualness that is, it typifies the series again and again. You see it. Yes. Who are some of your favorite vocal performances? Yeah, I mean. The clay face is, a, is fantastic. <laughs> Color me shocked. I'm still out here riding for Bane, who is really like yeah. every single scene he's in. I'm like, get me more Bane. The great uh, yeah. James Adomian is doing Bane's voice and he's fantastic. As I said, the voice acting, you know, across the board is is amazing. I feel the same way Serena feels, but about King Shark. Mm. Ron Funches mm-hmm. as King Shark. He's one of the highlights of the show for me. It's Ron Funches, right? So he's like relatable and unassuming and charming. I'm guessing you're the one having trouble finding a nemesis. Well, we put the profile up and we're not getting any bites. Is that a shark joke? If so, it's very funny. (laughs) I feel like King Shark is almost the paternal figure to Harley's group in a way. Very Linda Belcher. Mm -hmm. I'm all in for whatever you're doing kind of vibe, just like, I'm there. I think that's just one example of how all the voice work is just spot on. Yeah. Now, this show is famously off on its own weird corner of the TCU, and Warner Brothers kind of lets it be for the most part. Do you ever think about how this show fits into any other DC properties, or are you happy with its being its own weird thing? I'm so happy to see it stand on its own. I think we need less interconnected media properties, you know? I don't think this needs a spinoff. I don't think it needs to tie back in to anything else. It's doing great on its own because it has its own lane to drive in. I think if you connect that road to a highway, even one as fun as the Harley Quinn highway, (laughs) you know, I think that's the road to disaster. Yeah, no, I'd agree. I think one of the things that it does, and it does really smartly, is that it uses the scraps. It uses actual characters from the DC universe that are absurd. Maybe they were one-offs or short-lived or you know, not main characters and not household names. And Harley Quinn is like making this stew, making this gumbo. And it's like, you're just throwing that out? You're throwing that character out? No, I can totally use that. So, you know, it finds a place for someone like Kite Man or the Queen of Fables or Calendar Man, Mm -hmm. who's like in some ways a running joke and different things. And it's just like the creators of the show are saying, wait, this character makes no sense? Of course it makes no sense. None of this makes sense. So let's just have some fun. Like, let's just make a show. Oh, JC, that's exactly it. Because look, Kite Man is Ridiculous isn't the punchline of the joke. Here, it's the premise of the joke. You take the trouble 
of fully imagining a world in which Kite Man is a thing. You give Kite Man a personality that reflects that his thing is gliding, <laughs> right? <laughs> and from there, that gives you access to so many different kinds of jokes, as opposed to leaving it, this power sucks, which isn't even a joke. Anyway, we already mentioned the kind of gray area the show works in. Harley Quinn's arc over these three seasons, she's always been an agent of chaos more than malice, even in the comics. But she's taking on an arc now that is closer to the kind of Catwoman ally, sometimes ally, sometimes anti-hero arc. How's that strike you guys? I think I found it interesting the way that her arc is a foil to Poison Ivy's arc. Mm -hmm. Where the first two seasons, Poison Ivy is very much like, I'm not part of the crew. I'm not even really a villain. She's like, I'm just an environmental advocate. If you want to call that villainry, go right ahead. She's trying to enact one of her first big plans to terraform Gotham. And so it's interesting to, to me to see the tension built into their relationship from that sense that Harley is moving more towards heroism and Ivy's moving more towards villainry. So I think I don't really care to see Harley purely in the capital H hero lane, right. but as their plans intersect and maybe bisect, mm-hmm. uh, I found that really compelling territory. And so... You know, I don't mind that, you know, Harley's growing some angel wings. The first thing that kind of comes to my mind when you ask that question, Glenn, is like, that's life, you know? Like, Mm. when I think about my own life, you know, there's some moments where I'm like, man, I did that thing. Like, that's not great. Like, I, you know, you're a bad person for doing that, JC. But then other times I'm like, you know, I'm a real hero. Like, today I'm a hero. Tomorrow I'm a villain. Like, that's the way it goes. It makes these characters more than just the sum of their parts. It lets them explore what it means to be human. And on that note, let's speculate on the future of this show. I think it's found its groove. And Serena, to your point, like Harley and Ivy's relationship is at a fascinating point. The show has rapidly become about their relationship. So I want to see more. What do you guys think? Are you fearful? Are you hopeful? I think one of the worst things about Batman and Batman adjacent properties always getting canceled is that the thing I want most about them is the extended Bat fam. So now we get Nightwing this season, Mm -hmm. we get Batgirl, there's a world in which we get Cassandra Cain, there's a world in which Mm -hmm. we get, you know, Huntress. I love all of those B-list, C-list characters, and I want to see more of them. Yeah, I will say that in a sense I'm optimistic because of what we've said of this being kind of on its own. It's less a property and more of a sandbox, yeah. right? Like it's, it's it's not a place where DC or Warner Brothers would build or could build anyway. It's a place to come and play. It's a place for fans to come and say like, you know, like, oh, what if? But it is in a sense something that's that just allows these characters to come together and play in a way that hopefully <laughs> Warner Brothers can just leave it alone and say, you know what? There are people who like this, you know, let's just, let's leave it alone. Let's let them do their thing. Fingers crossed. I mean, here's hoping. We want to know what you think about Harley Quinn. Find us at facebook.com slash PCHH. That brings us to the end of our show. JC Howard, Serena Toros, thanks to both of you for being here. Oh, thank, thank you. you. It was fun. And of course, thank you for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. This episode was produced by Ramel Wood and Taylor Washington and edited by Mike Katziff and Hello Come In provides our theme music. I'm Glenn Weldon, and we'll see you all tomorrow. This advertisement comes from our paid sponsor, Fundrise. High interest rates mean that real estate assets are available at a discount compared to previous valuations. The Fundrise flagship fund plans to expand its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. Add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio at fundrise.com NPR. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the fund before investing. 
Read the prospectus at fundrise.com slash flagship. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Mass Mutual. The Financial Educators Council says 39% of Americans don't have someone to go to for financial advice, but you can plan for the short and long term with someone backed by 170 years of financial expertise at massmutual.com. Jasmine Morris here from the StoryCorps podcast. Our latest season is called My Way, stories of people who found a rhythm all their own and marched to it throughout their lives consequences and other people's opinions be damned. You won't believe the courage and audacity in these stories. Hear them on the StoryCorps podcast from NPR.